Amen. You can go ahead and grab a seat. Uh, well, good morning and uh, welcome to LifePoint. For those of you I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Matthew and I serve as the teaching pastor here at our Westerville campus. And uh, if today's your first time visiting, your first time checking out LifePoint, uh, we would just ask one uh, very simple thing from you today. Uh, during our service or even right now, you can pull out your smartphone and uh, you'll find a QR code on the seat back in front of you. And uh, if you'll scan that, you'll find a little section called Guest Info where you ask just for some of your information. And then at the very bottom, bottom of that, uh, you'll find a list of local ministries and nonprofits that we partner with, and you can select one of those, and we'll actually make a $5 donation to that ministry just as our way of thanking you for being with us. You'll also see a section called Notes that you can follow along with during today's message. Uh, next week, we are kicking off our Now Playing uh, series, which every year is our by far our largest attended series the entire year, we, we take a movie each week, we play the movie trailer, and then we take uh, aspects of the movie and connect biblical truths uh, to the, the, to the storyline, to the characters, have a lot of fun with that. We're going to have popcorn in the lobby, candy, soda, all of it free, but we really do this series as, as an outreach. It's a great series for you to invite somebody to. So this week, I really want you to be thinking about who can you be inviting to church next week for our Now Playing series. Maybe it's a, a neighbor, coworker, family member, friend, uh, another parent on your kid's soccer team, but who is God leading you to invite to our Now Playing series kicking off next week? You know, I've always been a big numbers guy. Anybody else love, love numbers? Like that's kind of your, your thing? Like two people, seriously? <laughs> you know, growing up, math was my favorite subject in school. Some of you, you probably cried the days you had to do your math test. I loved math. Um, I was never a great athlete, but I was an absolute beast at this thing called math superstars. It was like math club for, for nerds. Uh, then I went to college and, and I studied accounting and Really enjoyed doing that, and then I did tax accounting for several years after, after graduating, but, but numbers have always been my love language. Like That's the, the language that I, that I speak in. I like to, to study numbers and, and look at trends and predict what's going to happen, and I do this with, with pretty much everything in my life. I do it with my finances. Like I've got an Excel spreadsheet that tracks like every single purchase I've made for the last 12 years, along with my, my budget. Uh, I like to do this with running. I'm a big runner and I'll look at my paces and try to predict you know, what I'll be able to run in a race. I do this with some of my, my personal goals. But the reason I like numbers is because numbers don't lie. Like it's easy to know if you're growing, if you're making progress. The numbers are either going up in the right direction or they're going down in the wrong direction. Like, you know if you're succeeding, you know if you're winning. But not everything in life works that way, right? Not everything can be tracked and measured numerically. I mean, imagine, you know, going to, to your spouse one day and, and sharing and, and opening up and be like, hey, I, I feel like we're not as, as close as we used to be. I feel like we're not connecting the same way. I, I want to focus on our relationship more. And they respond to you by saying, well, I texted you three times today, and uh, you know, last week I told you I loved you five times, and I did the dishes twice, and I spent an average of four hours with you each day, and based on the numbers, based on the scorecard, I feel like we're succeeding. I feel like we're winning in our relationship. If your spouse responded that way, like that's not the kind of answer that you're looking for, because when it comes to relationships, you can't put a numerical value on them. 
You can't track their, their health or their success with a, with a scorecard because relationships are so much more complex than that. There's so many more dynamics and variables that play a relationship. It can't be simplified to just a few numbers and a few metrics. I mean, but, but how often do we approach our relationship with God that way? Like if somebody were to ask you, hey, how's your relationship with God? How's your, 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 your walk going? You may respond with something like, well, you know, I, I did my quiet time four times this past week, you know, more days than, than not, and went to church a couple times this past month and even served, and, you know, I've given a few times this year, and I, I went on a mission trip, and, you know, kind of based on the numbers and the metrics, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. I feel like I'm succeeding, I'm winning in my relationship with God. And we end up treating our relationship with God almost like it's a, a report card where we're receiving a, a grade or a score. And the more activity that we can track and that we can measure, the better we feel like we're doing, the better the score, the better the grade that we give ourselves. And our, our, our relationship with God becomes all about our activity and our performance for him. You know, am I doing enough things for him? Am I checking enough boxes? Am I succeeding? Am I winning in my relationship with God? And but is that really the best way to think about our relationship with God? Is that really the best way to know whether or not we're growing in our relationship with him? So here's the, here's the big idea that I, I kind of want you to, 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 to leave you with today, if you're taking notes, is this, is that activity for God is not the same thing as closeness with God. Activity for God, doing things for God is not the same thing as being close with God. You know, doing things for God, like reading our Bible and going to church and giving and serving, man, these are good things. They're important. In fact, over the past couple of weeks, we've encouraged you to pursue these kinds of things, like being in community and being a contributor and, be, and being a, a servant. But these are not the same thing as being close to God. These are not the same thing as being in a relationship with him. And I think there's a, a better way for us to think about our relationship with, with God, and it's this, spiritual Intimacy. Am I close with God? Do I know him? Do I love him? Do I desire him? Am I in an active and growing relationship with him? And these things like loving God and knowing God and being close with God, they can't be measured and they can't be tracked the way that we would our, our finances. Like there's no formula or, or metric for them. They're, they're more complex than that. They're deeper than that. But what I want to do today is kind of do my best to unpack this idea of spiritual intimacy, to, to kind of unpack and explain what it looks like, what it means for us to be close with God when it comes to our relationship with him. And we're going to be wrapping up our, our, our teaching series called, called Broken Mirrors. And during this series, every week, We've looked at a different hero of the faith from Hebrews chapter 11, and we've taken that character and taken their story and connected it with one of our five core values here at LifePoint. And today we're looking at our final core value of, of spiritual intimacy. And to kind of look at this core value, we're going to look at the life of one of the, the most interesting characters in the Bible, a guy named Enoch. Enoch. 
And uh, Enoch, he's mentioned toward the, the very beginning of Genesis. He's referenced again in Hebrews 11 and the, the hall of faith. And I, to kind of start our time together this morning, I want to read these two passages that speak to Enoch and his life. So in Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, and in Genesis 5, you see this genealogy of all of Adam's descendants, but it says this, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God, and then catch this, then he was no more because God took him away. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, the author writes this, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we really don't know a whole lot about Enoch. There's no other verses in, in scripture that speak to his life. We don't have chapters and chapters about him like we do guys you know, like Noah and Moses and David. But we do know that Enoch found himself in a pretty exclusive club, the Never Died Club. And it's just him and one other dude, this guy named Elijah from, from the Old Testament. It says that one day he was no more because God took him away. And I don't know about you, but that's how I want to go out one day. You know, whether I'm 60 or 70 or 80, I just want to be hanging out and, you know, with my family, with my grandkids, doing whatever, and then just be no more. And I want my tombstone to say, and Matthew was no more. Like, that's how, that's how I want to go. It sounds, sounds pretty good. But listen to how his life was summarized. It says that he walked faithfully with God. The author of Hebrews says he was commended as one who pleased God with his life. And is there a better way to be remembered than that? as someone who walked faithfully with the Lord, as someone who pleased God with their life, his life was defined by, it was marked by his relationship with God, by his closeness with God. He knew God, he loved God, he walked with God. And my guess is that most of us in this room, man, we, we want that kind of relationship with God. Like the, the reason you're, you're at church, unless you know, it's just that your spouse drug you here, the, the reason you're at church is because there's probably a, a desire within you to be close with God, to know him, to, to love him, to, to follow him. So then how do we develop this kind of closeness, this kind of intimacy with God? What does it look like for us to faithfully walk with God and follow God with our lives? What does it look like for us to live a life that pleases God? So at the end of our life, when somebody thinks about how we live, they would say, man, they walked faithfully with God. They lived a life that pleased God. Man, how do we pursue that? You know, I think what, what we want is a list of steps to follow. 
It's like, yes, I want a, I want a close relationship with God. Now tell me what to do. Tell me what steps to take. Tell me what, what, what action to take. But as I said earlier, activity for God, doing things for God is not the same thing as closeness with God. It's like, I can't just stand up here and give you five steps to a closer relationship with God. It, it doesn't work that way. It may sell books. You may be able to release a book called Five Steps to a Closer Relationship with God, but it's not that simple because closeness, intimacy with God, it's a, it's a journey. It's a process. And it doesn't look the same for everyone. There's not this one-size-fits-all formula that you just follow to make sure that you're, you're close with God. But I do think there are some aspects that are the same for everyone. There's some kind of qualities and attributes that you're going to find in anybody who has a close relationship with God. So what I want to do today is I want to give you three words that I think kind of explain and paint a picture of what intimacy with God, closeness with God looks like. And as I was preparing this week and kind of thinking about what direction I, I wanted to take it, these words just kept popping to my mind over and over of, of what it looks like, what it means to be close with God. And my preaching professors would be really happy and proud today because I'm going to give you an alliteration. Uh, all the words start with the letter D. I don't normally do this. It wasn't on purpose. It just happened to be that way. But if you're taking notes, the first word that comes to mind when I think about somebody who's close with God, intimacy with God, it's direction. Direction. You know, for, for many Christians, their relationship with God, when they think about following him, it's all about not messing up. It's, hey, don't, you know, don't cuss. Don't lose my temper. Don't look at something I shouldn't. Don't drink too much. Don't miss my Bible reading. Don't skip church. And they just kind of grit their teeth and try to power their way through the day without doing anything bad, without doing anything wrong. And they assume that if they're not doing things bad, if they're not messing up, then God must be happy with them. It's all about sin avoidance, not doing anything wrong. And But here's the, the problem with that kind of approach, with that kind of a mindset when it comes to our relationship with God. When we mess up, and we all eventually do, we all, we all fall, we all slip back into to bad patterns. When we mess up, we feel like we are undoing all of our progress. Like we're going all the way back to, to square one. And if you've ever been there, man, that, it can be incredibly frustrating and discouraging because you feel like, man, I'm making progress, I'm doing better, I'm not doing as many bad things, and then you mess up, you screw up, you, you lose your temper, you say something you shouldn't, you look at something you shouldn't, and you feel like, man, it's undoing all the progress. I'm back to square one. I have to start over again. It's one step forward and two steps back. But listen, man, closeness with God, intimacy with God isn't about perfection, it's not about never messing up. It's not about never sinning. It's about direction. It's about moving towards God with your life. Enoch was described as somebody who walked faithfully with God. He moved towards God day by day, step by step. It was a process. It was a journey. It was years and years of following and chasing after God. Man, so rather than, than trying to, to measure our relationship with God by how much we did or did not sin this past week, you know, how close was I to, to perfect? I think the better question to, to ask ourselves when we think about our relationship with God is this. 
what direction is my life moving? Am I moving towards God or am I moving away from God? And there's really no in-between. There's no neutral with this. We're either moving towards God with our life or we're moving away from him. And how do you know this? How do you know if you're moving towards God, if you're growing, if you're making progress? Well, there's no number for this. There's no metric. There's no activity to track this. But here's what I think it comes down to. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you bearing more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you bearing more fruit in your life? For example, when you look at your life today and your relationships, are you more loving today than you were a year ago? And you think about the way you treat your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, are you more loving today than you were a year ago? Now, are you more patient than you were a year ago? Like, is your, is your fuse longer? Or are you flying off the handle and losing your, losing your temper as much as you did a year ago? Do you have more peace than you did a year ago? When you think about the things last year that stressed you out and caused anxiety and caused you to, to, to worry and to stress, do you have more peace in your life than you did a year ago? Are you practicing more self-control than you were a year ago? When you think about those temptations, those habits, those struggles that you know you, you easily fall into, I'm not asking, are you perfect this year? But when you look at those things, are you practicing more self-control? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Is there more fruit of the Spirit in your life? And when we talk about direction, when we talk about bearing fruit in our relationship with Jesus and becoming more like him, we're, we're not looking at a, a small sample size. We're not looking at a, an individual day or a week or even a month because there, there, there's valleys, there's seasons where, where things are good, where things are bad. But when you look at the overall trend of your life, are you becoming more like Jesus? Walking with God, it's a journey. It's a process. It takes years. It takes decades. It says that Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years. 30 decades of faithfully following and pursuing the Lord. Spiritual intimacy, closeness with God, it's not about perfection. It's not about never messing up. It's about direction. Are you walking with God? Are you moving towards him? What direction is your life moving? The second word that, that comes to mind is this. It's, it's dependence. And I'm gonna start this, this section kind of just with a, a moment of, of, of transparency because here's, here's what my relationship with God often looks like if, if I'm not you know, being conscious a, a, about it. You know, my, my alarm will go off real early in the morning and I'll, I'll go downstairs and make my Nespresso coffee. Got my little double shot of Nespresso, add a little sweetener, a little milk in there. Got my, my coffee. I try to not wake my kids up so my wife doesn't get mad at me. And then I'll go down to, to the basement where I've got my, my desk and my office set up. And I'll read my, my, my Bible reading plan. This year I'm, I'm reading through the New Testament. And I'll journal for a couple minutes and I'll pray for a few minutes. And then I close my Bible, I close my journal, I, I head upstairs, I get ready for work. And then I barely think about God 
for the rest of the day. I'm just kind of on the spiritual autopilot. And listen, this is not a picture of spiritual intimacy. This is not a picture of closeness with God. Yes, I'm doing my quiet time. Yes, I'm checking the box, but there's no awareness of God throughout the day. I'm not depending and relying on him the way that I should. I'm relying on my own power and my own strength. I'm doing a lot of activity for God. I mean, I'm a a pastor. I'm sermon prepping. I'm meeting with people. I'm strategizing about the church. I'm doing activity for God, but there's not always closeness with God. But listen to what Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 15. He said, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus calls us as his followers, as his disciples, to to remain in him. Other translations say to abide in him. And to abide means to, to be present, to be held, to be kept And abiding is about this this awareness of God's presence in our life. It's a, a realization that it's God's mercy and God's grace that's holding us, that's sustaining us. Abiding is all about dependence, being held, being kept by God. And then Jesus says this. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I I love this picture that Jesus gives, this visual that he gives of our relationship with him. He says that that he's the vine and we are the branches. And in order for us to bear fruit in our life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, we have to remain connected to the vine, to the source of life, to Jesus. Because apart from him, he says, you can't do anything of significance on your own. You know, for those of you with, with kids, I, I want you to think back to, to the, those, those first few weeks when they were newborns. Maybe you're even in that, that season of life right now. And those first couple of weeks, those first couple of months, they are essentially abiding in you because they have to remain connected to you at all times just to survive. There's like a complete dependence on you for their life to, to, to feed them, to change them, to care for them, because apart from you, they can't do anything on their own. And Jesus is saying, look, 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 it's the same for us with our spiritual life. We are completely dependent on the vine, on Jesus for our spiritual life. We can't grow. We can't bear fruit if we're not connected with him. Which means that that spiritual intimacy, closeness with God, it's all about staying connected to Jesus, staying connected to the source of life. And this isn't a, a, a one-time daily or a one-time decision that, that we make, you know, when we trust in Jesus for, for salvation. No, this requires a daily posture of humility a daily awareness of our total dependence on Jesus. And and, and listen, this doesn't happen by accident. Man, we don't drift our way towards greater dependence on God. Man, we drift towards autonomy. We drift towards this mindset of, "I've, I've got it. I can handle it. I can do it all by myself. 
No, if I'm going to abide, if I'm going to stay close and connected to the vine, then I have to start each day with a conscious dependence on the Lord. And this is the the reason why we encourage people to start their day, to start their morning with with reading their Bible and spending time in prayer. Not as a, a way to check off the box, not as a way to make God happy with you, not as a way to say, hey, I got my spiritual religious activity out of the way, but as a way to cultivate this posture of humility before God, of dependence on God, where we are coming to him each and every morning saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. Help me to become more aware of my dependence on you. Spiritual intimacy, it's about developing this dependence on God's grace and God's mercy in our life, recognizing that apart from him, man, we can't do anything. So direction, man, are you moving towards God? What direction is your life moving? Dependence, man, am I staying close and connected to Jesus? Am I relying on him? And finally, number three is devotion. You know, for, for years, I, I've had the, the privilege of being a part of a lot of different student camps and, and student weekends at, at my previous church. And these are, are incredible events that every single year, uh, you see the, the lives of students being changed by, by these events. You know, I gave my life to, to Jesus at a student weekend as a sophomore in high school. I felt called by God into to full-time ministry at a summer camp, and God moves powerfully through these kinds of events. In fact, in, in March, LifePoint has our, our, our student weekend for our middle school and high school students. And man, if you have a, a student in that age range, sixth grade through, through 12th grade, I really wanna encourage you to make sure that they're a part of that weekend. Man, but if you've ever been a part of one of these events, whether it's a student camp or a church conference or a, you know, a college retreat, one of these kinds of events, you know that there's a lot of emotion involved in these kinds of events. You know, typically on the last night of camp or the last night of, of the event, the lights are really low and the, the band is playing and everyone's crying. And in that moment, you feel so close and so connected with God. I mean, it's probably just dopamine and your brain going off. But in that moment, you feel like, man, God is with us. You feel close. You feel connected. But what happens every time, I see it time and time again, you leave that event and you assume that being close with God means maintaining that feeling or that emotion that you experienced. So you get home, and, and what do you do? You, you try to recreate that moment. You try to recreate that feeling, that, that emotion that you experienced at the, the event. But what happens is those, those feelings, those emotions, man, they, they quickly fade away. You're kind of back to reality. And then you start to assume, man, I must not be close with God anymore because I just don't feel it. Here's what we need to understand. Spiritual intimacy, closeness with God, it's not about a feeling. It's not about an emotion. It's about devotion. And devotion is loyalty. It's faithfulness. It's steadfastness. It's a decision and a commitment to love the Lord our God with all that we are and to pursue him regardless of our feelings or our emotions in the moment. Now, I want you to, to, to think back to, to your wedding day, 
You're standing with your spouse, all your friends, all your family are there, and you share vows with them. And your vows were probably some version of this. You said something to them like, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. And I'm sure in that moment, as you're looking at your spouse and you're sharing these vows with them, that moment was filled with a lot of emotion. There were strong and intense feelings and emotions on on, on your wedding day. But imagine if you backed out of your marriage as soon as you stopped feeling a certain way. As soon as the emotions of the wedding ceremony wore off. You you backed out as soon as the feeling was gone. Man, you want to even make it to your honeymoon. Because as soon as you got to the airport and started going through security, all those emotions would be gone in, in an instant. No, when, when you made a vow and a promise to, to your spouse, it wasn't a vow to feel a certain way for the rest of your marriage. It was a vow and a promise to remain devoted to them regardless of what may happen in life, for good or for bad, sickness, health, rich or poor. Man, you're gonna continue to love them and pursue them as your spouse. You are devoting your life to them. And you see, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus for our salvation, we are vowing our devotion to him, our loyalty, our faithfulness. We're vowing to love him with all that we are and to continue to pursue him both in the good and the bad, whether we feel like we're close to him or not. Man, we we set ourselves up for failure when we judge our relationship with God by our feelings. Because our emotions are are fleeting. Our emotions can be deceiving. They're they're not always an accurate picture of of reality. Our relationship with God, it can't be tied to, to a feeling or an emotion that we have. It has to be deeper than that. You need something more concrete. It has to be about devotion, a commitment, to love the Lord, pursue the Lord, to seek after him, regardless of the feelings or the emotions that we may have in the moment. It's a commitment to say, Jesus, I am going to follow you for the rest of my life, whether I feel like it or not. Spiritual intimacy, closeness with God, it's about direction. Are you moving towards God or are you moving away from him? It's about dependence, abiding in him, relying on him, and it's about devotion, vowing our lives to him, a commitment to him. But maybe you're thinking, okay, that, that, that's great, but man, shouldn't we be doing things for God? I mean, isn't obedience still important? Doesn't James say faith without works is dead? And, and yes, to all those questions. But listen to what Jesus says in John 14. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And notice the the order there. Our obedience to Jesus, our obedience to God comes from a place of love. Our activity is an overflow of our closeness with God. We don't obey so that God will love us. We don't obey to make God happy with us, to get God on our side. We obey because we love him. So yes, we, we give and we serve and we go to church and we go on mission trips and we do our Bible reading, but we do so because of our devotion, because of our commitment to love him and to follow him. 
for the rest of our lives. Spiritual intimacy, it's not about the activity that we do for God. It's about our closeness with God. But maybe, maybe you're here today and as you think about your, your, your life, and you would say, man, I, 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 I don't know if I have a relationship with God. I, I don't know if I, I know him like that. I, I, I know a lot about God. I'm you know, somewhat religious. You know, I grew up as a, as a Christian. But when you're talking about a relationship with God, I, I don't know if I have that. I don't know if I've experienced that. Like, how, how would you even start a relationship with God? How would you even enter into a relationship with him? What, is, what does that look like? Well, look back in, in Hebrews 11.6. At the end of the, the section about Enoch, it says this. And without faith... It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, faith is the way that we begin a relationship with God. Faith is the way that we enter into a relationship with him. And and faith in what? Faith in the person and the work of Jesus putting our faith, our trust in who Jesus is, that he is the perfect son of God and what he did on the cross in our place, that Jesus took on our sin, our shame, the punishment that we deserved. And three days later, rose from the dead, defeating sin, defeating death, so that you could enter into a relationship with your heavenly father so that you could know God and be known by him so that you could love God and be loved by him so you could be fully loved and accepted as you are. I love the way that the Apostle Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter two. He says, for it is by grace, God's grace, that we have been saved through faith, through trusting in him. And this is not from ourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, not by our activity, not by our religious efforts, so that no one can boast. You know, maybe for for some of you today, you... You are a follower of Jesus. You have a relationship with God. But if you're, you were honest, man, your, your relationship with God is really all about your activity for God. It's very performance-based. How many things can you check off the box? How many things can you do for, for God? How much sin can you avoid? How close to perfect can you be? And if you were, were, were really open, you say, man, I'm, I'm exhausted by it. Because it's like this burden that I'm carrying around. One step forward, two steps back. Listen, that is never what, what, what God intended for you. The invitation that Jesus extends to us is to, to come and to, to rest. To rest in what Jesus has already done on our behalf. And to enter into this relationship with our Heavenly Father where we are known by Him. We are loved by Him. We are accepted by Him. Not because of what we do or don't do. But because of what Jesus has already done for us. But then maybe some of you, you, you need to enter into a relationship with God. Man, you, you don't know God personally. You know about God, you know about religion, you know about church, but you don't know God. And today we, we would love to help you take that step of entering into a relationship with God, of placing your faith and your trust in Jesus, maybe for, for the very first time. And we've got an area in the, in the back of our room called Next Steps where we've got some members of our, our team there. 
And during this last song or, or right after service, if, if you have questions about what does it mean to know God, to be in a relationship with him, man, we would just encourage you to, to stop by that area. They, they'd be happy to, to talk with you, to pray with you, to answer any questions you may have. You, you can come find myself or somebody on our staff, but we wanna do whatever we can to help you take that next step and in entering into a relationship with your heavenly father. So Father, we, we thank you that we are, are not judged, God, by, by our activity, by our performance, that we're not uh, receiving a, a, an annual report card, uh, but that when you look at us, man, you, you see your son, Jesus. You see what he has done in our place on the cross. And today, Lord, we, we rest in that. God, help us to become more aware of, of your presence in our life to develop a, a greater dependence for you, a greater level of, of devotion. That's not based on, on feelings and emotions and the moment that we're in, but our commitment to, to, to love you and to follow you, God, with our lives. And Lord, for, for anyone in here, man, who doesn't know you personally, who's never placed their faith and trust in Jesus and what Jesus has done for them on, on, on the cross, Lord, God, I pray that you would stir something in their heart today. And God, that they would respond with boldness, with, with confidence, that they would come have a conversation about what it looks like to know you and to be known by you. Jesus, we love you. We, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your, your, your mercy and for your presence in our life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.